This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? <laughs> Expecto Patronum! Brings you down then. I'm studying London College Girl. And you are? Sandy. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. In the second of our Stuff We Missed episodes this week, where we're reviewing Stuff We Missed from last year, just because it never made it here. Never made it. Um, and we kept waiting. And Last Night in Soho is one of those where we were really excited to talk about it. And now... We're doing it just, you know, uh, a cool year later. So that clip reminded me of all the things that I actually really enjoyed about the film, including the music and a sort of a fast-talking vibe. I mean, it's Edgar Wright, right? There are certain things that you expect about a movie by him. I was very excited to find out that he was planning to do sort of this creepy horror film. Um, I have mixed feelings about the end result, uh, but I will say, though, that once again, I think this movie would have, I perhaps would have liked this movie a lot more if I had watched it on a big screen. Uh, on the other hand, I watched it on an airplane screen. So I think I might have shortchanged it a little bit. Um, I am so glad that I don't watch a lot of trailers anymore because I didn't know what this movie was about. I just knew that it is an Edgar Wright movie. Uh, I, on purpose, didn't read the synopsis or, or learn about this movie or, or you know watch any of the trailers. I'm so, so happy because it is so trippy if you have no idea what, what it's about, right? Um, and it also really tests your fandom for Edgar Wright. Like, if you say you're a fan of the filmmaker, um, this movie, I think, really stretches that and goes like, okay, are you with me or are you with me? Like, can you go along uh, on this ride, you know, what he's doing and stuff? Um, it's not perfect. I enjoyed it a lot, but the movie is not perfect. It's far from perfect, but I loved it. it. I was never bored. I was completely hooked and, you know, wanting to see where they are going with this, how the genres flip and blend and go into one thing or another. Um, it's one of those perfect things to watch on a Saturday night, I think. Not even cinema, but on a Saturday night at home. I liked it a lot. I um, am going to echo what we've said now twice, uh, which is that it's really imperfect. And the, I think the things that are imperfect stand out so much because otherwise Edgar Wright's kind of a perfectionist. Uh, generally speaking, his films have a very polished, complete feel, right? Whether you like them or not, um, whether you feel they're lacking something or not, you have a feeling that he left everything out there for you to, for you to watch and enjoy. And Last Night in Soho has a kind of 
maybe it's the nature of the story has, I think, a bit of a disjointed feel. I think some of the generic stuff falls down towards the end, but we'll get there. Um, So the summary of it is, I think that clip kind of catches it quite well, right? It it kicks off with Ellie, who is an aspiring fashion student who makes her way to London, rooms with uh, an, an old lady played by the inestimable inestimable. I don't know why I tried to say that word. (laughs) It suits her, that's why. It really does, right? Diana Rigg. Um, And so basically she finds a room in a house where she starts having dreams about one particular person, um, Sandy, in the 60s, um, who appears to be living this swinging London lifestyle that she wants to embody, which she starts to take strains off back into her life in the, the 2020s. And then slowly, as things start to unravel for Sandy, Ellie also starts to wonder what actually happened. Matt Smith in this movie was sort of a... Peak Matt Smith. Yeah, peak Matt Smith, but also precursor to me warming up to him playing Damon Targaryen because very similar vibes. You want to kind of slap him, but you also find him very attractive. Um, you know, I, I, you you said how this tests your loyalty to Edgar Wright and his, his style, right? I think, though, that for me, if I had gone in not knowing it was an Edgar Wright film, I might have enjoyed it a lot more. I think I might have had lower expectations because I would have been more forgiving of some of the imperfections. I would have been more willing to maybe suspend a little bit of my, like, wait a minute, like, you've done enough movies to know that this is a bit of a cheat, isn't it? Um because there are so many things about this that I, I do genuinely enjoy. The So once we start flipping back and forth between the dreams and real life, Ellie's life versus Sandy, um, and what is actually going on. And there's some horror set pieces in this movie that work so well. Um, I'd actually love to see Edgar Wright do like full on horror, I think, because I think he understands the sensibility. Even this isn't full on horror. Um, It's more of a thriller horror kind of thing. I think there's a lot to this story that could be very interesting. I think he I think my problem with the movie is that it doesn't deliver on a lot of the promises that it sets up. Mm. And it also, I think it tests you because it demands a lot of attention from the audience or from the viewer. Um, that's why I said like you have to be like a real Edgar Wright fan to, to stick with this, right? Because um, it requires you to maintain a lot of focus. And then when they do the genre blending, bending stuff, um, you have to stick with him. You have to stay along. So there's a lot of, it's a, it's a big ask, I think. And I think if you if you're unfamiliar with Edgar Wright's style, or even if you are familiar, then you might feel like the movie is messy or all over the place or you're unsure about where it's going or what's happening, right? Um, but I love the way the, the movie creates a sort of uh, discomfort and then it gives you a lot of comfort and then it creates a lot of discomfort after that. Like it has that that weird uh, pacing to it. So I enjoyed it. But I also think it's not a... I don't think it's an easy movie to watch, to be completely honest. It's not, a, it's not an accessible film. Here's my thing. My thing is that in recent years, I've sometimes wondered whether I'm conti- I-, I can still get with Edgar Wright films that feel, um, this might be an unfair thing, it's just how I feel, um, that feel like they prioritise aesthetics over, you know, uh, basically form over function. And what I really liked about Last Night in Soho and the thing that absolutely worked for me was that this thing uses weaponizes its form. In other words, it weaponizes the aesthetics of the of 1960s Soho and has you feeling nostalgic 
in a way that later becomes deeply dangerous. And so what I really loved about the film was that it does that. And um, to your point, Arvin, about it being difficult, I think part of the reason is because it makes you complicit. Because as you're watching it, you're like, Mm. yeah, I totally would, you know... And that's what Ellie is as well, right? Exactly. She fetishize, fetishizes, oh, we're all saying difficult <laughs> words we can't say. She has this sort of weird um, obsession with the past uh, at the exclusion of her present. Yes, and to the point where she only feels safe participating in her present if she is practically cosplaying the past. And we all kind of fall into that as well. When Matt Smith first shows up, it's very easy to be seduced by him. Yeah, um, the, because the bygone era kind of romance. We're and, yeah. all complicit. And I, I like that a lot. I, I think that if I compare this to like a, a baby driver, for example, this makes better use of its aesthetics and form. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing, because once you get past that, then is there a lot more? Hmm. That is probably where I started to struggle. Um, I don't mean to say that I wouldn't recommend this movie. I think I still would definitely say you should watch it because there are some movies that just do movies well. And this is such a cleverly made film. Um, and Edgar Wright is the kind of filmmaker, I think, even if you don't end up liking the final product, he's not never boring. Uh, it's always surprising. And so there's so much about this that I enjoyed. But I think, again, for me, it goes back to the, is there much more? Did it answer the questions it's asking? Did it, by the end, make the point it's trying to make about how, actually, for me, this was the big problem. Um, the male gaze and the using of women and their bodies, by the end, did it actually flip it or did it end up doing exactly what it's critiquing? And I wasn't quite sure that it succeeded. Yeah, I don't know. The The message is a bit blurry, right? By the end of it, they're like, what is the movie actually trying to say? Um, at this point, I, I don't think Edgar Wright can make a truly awful movie. I don't think he's ever made a, a completely bad film. Um, but Lynn, you mentioned like the aesthetics. Uh, for me, it was the music. Uh, and you also ah. mentioned Baby Driver, right? For me, um, the music and the needle drops felt a bit forced. Um, mm. Like it was trying to create a certain vibe that it was going for. I, I got it. I understood it. I knew why he chose the songs that he did. But it also felt like he was pressured by Baby Driver, that everyone had seen that movie and then they went like, oh, Edgar Wright's making this new movie. What new songs is he going to put in it? Uh, this, the same way James Gunn has to create like playlists for every Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Um, I felt that because a lot of the songs are really old and they are not so recognizable, like you can't relate to the music. So I know why they're there. Some of the music didn't have to be. Like some of the scenes would have been completely okay without those songs, I felt. So for me, it was trying to... It felt a bit like it was trying to replicate the baby driver thing a bit too hard. We're talking today about Last Night in Soho in the second of two Stuff We Missed episodes uh, that we're airing this week. And uh, basically, we didn't get to watch Last Night in Soho. It never made its way here, but it is now available to stream. Have you watched it yet? Do you plan to? Are you an Edgar Wright completist? Uh, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from mediocrity. BFM 89.9. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. What did you see? 
leaving ghosts. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin, where we choose lying trailers because I don't I don't know that <laughs> I last was just night. Say, what movie was that? I know, right? It's like the bomb. <laughs> like I, I don't think that ever actually happened. Anyway, we're talking about Last Night in Soho, um, directed and co-written by Edgar Wright. And um we, we were talking earlier about our mixed feelings about it. And before we get to the performances, which are very interesting, I think, to talk about, I did just want to say, to complete the, the question of the male gaze, there's a very valid reason why that came up, right? Um, and part of it has to do with the, the story itself. But the other part has to do with Edgar Wright and the criticism that he's been getting over the years that he simply doesn't do female characters or doesn't do female stories. And and that's been increasing in... Inter- With every new movie that comes out, I think people notice it more and more. And so... Last Night in Soho was viewed by some as a way to to compensate for that. If we take away that baggage, I think it's better. I think when it's viewed through the baggage of that, then it's tough. So that's what I mean, lah, that if I hadn't known this was Edgar Wright, if I wasn't familiar with the other movies he's made, I probably wouldn't have judged this quite as much because... This was, in a way, him almost being like, hey, I can center women in my stories and I can do them justice and they're not just arm candy. And then the movie just kind of goes ahead and does exactly that. Not I, I, OK, that might be unfair. I feel like the movie tries to make a case for the kinds of um, abuse and the kind of exploitation that women go through. But I don't think it really quite gets it. I don't think he gets the point that he's trying to make enough to tell the story. That's a that's always a bad place to start, right? When someone <laughs> challenges you to make a kind of movie and you're like, I know how to write female characters and then you go off and make them. That's, that's just not the way to start like writing anything. Um, but at the same time, um, will do you guys think Edgar Wright will ever be a mainstream filmmaker? Because he's come close and I think Ant-Man would have been his big moment, right? But... It's a shame that I don't think anyone watched this. I don't think this movie made any kind of money. Or hey, any everyone kind of... on the flight I was on was watching it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> he made lots of money it. on that. <laughs> lots of money on that. Um, but but you know what I mean, right? So we watched it on the streaming service. It didn't show in the cinemas here. Um, I don't think it made any kind of box office impact or, or pop culture footprint. No one's talking about this, even post Baby Driver. Um, I don't know. It's like I'm, I'm starting to think like maybe his movies are perfect for Netflix releases. And that's not a bad thing at all because you just you know that this would have been in the trending top 10 for at least a few weeks if it came out on Netflix, if it was a Netflix original thing. But as a mainstream big screen cinema filmmaker, no one watches his stuff. Like it's been decades and I don't know if like he's a mainstream name yet. I don't even want him to be, to be frank. Like... I, I don't actually want to watch the big, not the big screen version, but the 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 mass audience version of Last Night in Soho. I think that there are enough compromises in here that already are a little bit like, huh? If I do a bit of song and dance, huh? You know? Um, I don't want to see the, the big budget or mainstream version of Shaun of the Dead. Or I, I just have no interest in that. Like when I think about Edgar Wright, really... Possibly my favourite thing he's ever done is Spaced. And that's maybe the the least money he had to do anything and it was the best. And so I'm happy with him continuing to to ply his trade in in the niche that he's in. Yeah. I do want to see the Edgar Wright Ant-Man. 
Like that's the kind of mainstream I'd be interested to see. Him taking an otherwise sort of huge park property like Star Wars or Marvel. Okay, fine, anything Disney. Um, And then doing Edgar Wright, but being allowed to do Edgar Wright as well, which was the problem. That's why he never got to do the Ant-Man. You still want to see this uh, after Thor. Because like uh, because if you look at the Taika mm-hmm. comparison, right, then it's it's like that, right? You you have a Taika Waititi who did an amazing Ragnarok and then a very questioned Just one then. Ah. He can do one. Yeah. There or we maybe go. a standalone. Like pick one superhero that's only going to get one movie, he gets to do it and that's it. But I that's mean, about his mainstream. The, I think he should get that one mainstream thing only because he's he's an original filmmaker. Like even a movie like this, right? At the end of the day, it's not a big IP thing. It's not connected to like major universes. Um, the original stories and they come out. It's just like, I felt like it's a shame that not many people tap into these movies even after so long, so many years. So I think I, after hearing both of you, I think I might have enjoyed watching the movie most. Um, And and that comes from the thing I spoke about earlier, which is this affinity with the idea of the 60s and and of England in the 60s or London in the 60s. And because of that, it it sustained me through some of the, the rougher spots. But the other thing that I thought was really genuinely good about the film, if we take out the Again, if we take out how we might feel about the gender politics and the overall feeling of the film, I thought the performances were really good. Like, I enjoyed Thomasin McKenzie. I, th- I thought she sold this whole haunted, you know, country mouse thing really well. Anya Taylor-Joy was amazing. Matt Smith, amazing. Uh, Diana Riggs' last performance, amazing. Terrence Stamp. Oh, yes. I forgot about Darren Stamp, who he was, was so, so great. good. Um, yes, I, I think the performances sail through even the rougher spots. Um, I so enjoyed watching every one of them interact with each other. They all understood the assignment. They all bring just the right amount of weirdness for this. Um, no one's being too precious or too over the top. Uh, it, it was so much fun watching such good actors play uh, a movie like this because this level of weirdness, creepiness needs those kinds of performances. Honestly, I felt like Anya Taylor-Joy was a bit too big for the movie because we've seen her do so much, right? Stuff like Queen's Gambit and and every other show or movie that she's done so far. I think she's so good that I felt like her performance was kind of uh, subdued or minimized in this movie in a way. Like she's too big for the movie. She's way too charismatic and way too magnetic for a movie like this, which is why she's my favorite thing about the movie at the end of the day. That's so funny because I felt that way about Matt Smith. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I felt bit. that way about nobody. <laughs> but then that's also because so much of... So Matt Smith and Anya Taylor-Joy in particular exist in that kind of dream space, right? So I feel dream like... Dream uh, Yeah, so I was more willing to give them a lot more leeway in terms of they could really be anything. Um, and, you know, it's it's sort of a version of a version of who they really are. So maybe that's why. she She was definitely much larger than life, but it sort of felt appropriate for who she was. Also, it's kind of interesting. Maybe she shot all those newer things before she, I mean, after she did this, right? So it might have been from a different time, like a different, a weirdly different time from Anya Taylor-Joy's career. That And that's just part of the trippiness of releasing movies in pandemic times, right? Like, mm. um, it, it's the fact that you have no idea when any of this was shot until they tell you. Overall, though, um, okay, so I think it comes down to this. Do we recommend or do we not? And I'm not talking about as a collective because we don't do that. But, you know, individually speaking, if if someone asks you about the film, would you recommend it? 
Oh, I would recommend it for sure. I had a, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, you just need to be prepared that it's going to be one of those movies that like it might end up, you know, those movies that just do. And then she woke up and it was all a dream. If you're okay with the ending being a little bit disappointing, I think it's actually a really great experience. I think I would 100% recommend it also. But I wouldn't recommend it as an Edgar Wright big blockbuster mm. thing. I think that's the... I, I wouldn't hype it. I would be like, hey, if you have like free time on a Saturday or Sunday and you watch, want to watch something really cool, um, watch Last Night in Soho because it won't disappoint. But I wouldn't be like, oh, you have to watch this filmmaker's entire lineup and then watch this movie because then I think then they'll be a bit let down. I, I would recommend it. Um, again, I enjoyed watching it quite a bit and I found myself thinking about it the week after as well, um, you know, mm-hmm. and just mulling it over and what, what it meant. But I... Um, I think for me, I view it a little bit as an evolutionary step. Like we're seeing somebody in the process of experimenting to try different things. It is his first like psychological horror. So I, I viewed it that way. And because of that, I was willing to, you know, to go with it uh, even with the pitfalls or with some of the missteps. And I want to see him do more, honestly. I said earlier, I want to see him do horror, but I actually also want to see him do more this vibe, like the thriller, psychologically, mind-effing kind of films. I want to see that, but I want to see a series, like a mini-series. Because I think Edgar Wright like just spaced into spaced out into like six episodes or eight episodes with that aesthetic and those vibes. Oof, like I would binge that in like a weekend We've been talking today about Last Night in Soho and apparently more broadly Edgar Wright's career. (laughs) So um, let us know, have you watched it yet? Did you like it? Did you not? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us as well, movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.